Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brooks. Today I'm joined by Joe Pischetti. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. Great to have you on. Always good to have someone new on the podcast. And Francesco Ainsbury. How are you doing, Francesco? I'm well, thanks, Sam. Nice to be here. Good to have you on, as always. Um, We're going to start with... Probably the biggest game of the weekend. I think there are two or three games that really stood out this weekend, but Sunday night in particular, Inter v Napoli. Inter ended Napoli's um, unbeaten run to start the season with a 3-2 win. Really cracking game. Joe, I know obviously you have your you, you love Napoli, so a, a setback for them. But, but how would you assess it? Is it just a minor blip or, or anything more concerning for you, do you think? Uh, for me, I'm more concerned than just it being a minor blip. I, I guess minor blip in the sense that we've dropped points in two matches in a row. Uh, but I would say that, you know, they were against two very good opponents. We played against Inter, the reigning champions, who, despite coming into this match being seven points back of Napoli, were still re- pretty much on pace with the number of points they had collected at this time last season so it was more that Napoli and Milan have just had such hot starts to the season that it made it seem like Inter were not doing as well this season um and also Hellas Verona who were playing have been playing really really well lately so to to draw that match even though it was at the Maradona wasn't a terrible result but the reason why I'm so concerned is not so much because of the way this this match went but because of the players we lost in this match. Obviously, uh, Victor Osman left the match with a pretty bad injury. He's going to be out for a long time. Um, I'm not sure if you guys saw the reports uh, yesterday or today, but he has multiple fractures in his eye socket and in his cheekbone that requires surgery that will happen on Tuesday. And then we learned on Monday as well that Frank Zambuangisa also picked up an injury that'll keep him sidelined for a couple of weeks. So those, those are two key players that we were planning to be without in January for the Africa cup of nations. And I guess Spalletti will have to uh, speed up whatever plans he had made to lose those players to put them into effect immediately. Yeah. I guess that we've, we've been really, you know, loving Napoli this season. And one of the things that's really impressive about them is their strength in depth. They're, they seem to have players that can cover most positions, but I guess with Ozymen and Zambarangisa, are they maybe two players that, once you go beneath them, there is actually quite a drop in those positions. I, I guess for Ozymen, you've got Mertens and Batania. Do you think those guys can cover for, you know, what maybe four to six weeks, if that's how long Ozymen's going to be out for? That's the most concerning part. I think in Angisa's case, we can probably manage with Lobotka and Deme. Deme is also out momentarily because of he got COVID, but he should be back very, very soon. So between the two of them and Lubaka had a very strong summer training and start to the season. So I think we can manage the loss of Anguisa. It's the loss of Osiman that's that's really going to hurt us because his characteristics are, are pretty unique, right? You don't find strikers these days that have that kind of pace and strength and touch and finishing ability. And while, while Mertens is good and Patania is not so bad, they're not the same thing as Victor. And, and the thing about Victor is that it's not just his goals it's it's the way he plays and the way he creates space for others that has really benefited this club so that is is really concerning for me and the other thing i didn't mention a moment ago was that it's it's also the timing we're now coming up on napoli's most difficult stretch so far this season after inter our next game is lazio then we play sassuolo uh atalanta empoli uh, milan and spezia before the break so that's four really you know strong clubs for top six, seven. I can't remember where Latu is currently in the moment, but four top clubs in before the break that we'll have to play without uh, both of those players. Yeah, could, could could be a tough few weeks for Napoli, but of course they have opened up a little bit of a cushion on, on all these sides except Milan. Uh, Francesco, I want to come to you for a perspective on Inter. Um, was this for you perhaps their best performance under Inzaghi so far, particularly that first sort of 70 minutes? Um, just a really good all-round performance, particularly from the wing-backs as well, I thought, with Darmian and Perisic. I'm not sure it was their best performance. And the reason I say that is because it feels it felt very similar to a lot of the other games that Inter have played this season, especially against top opposition. So if you look at the games against Milan, 
the games against Juve, the game, even the game against Lazio, which they lost. Inter were pretty dominant for those first 70 minutes in those matches as well. And then in all of those games, they've kind of fallen away. Um, what's great for them is this weekend they managed to pull out the result, but it was a very similar pattern to those matches. You know, Napoli really came back into it in that in that final half an hour or so. Um, I think generally Inter are, are playing quite well. It does feel like they're becoming more solid. Um, they felt a bit messier earlier on in the season, and now they they do feel like they are managing games slightly better. But I would still say there is a slight concern over their their kind of general lead management in these big matches because in all of those games that i've just mentioned they weren't able to pull out the result they weren't able to pull out wins they got but in all of them they were ahead and if you if you add to that the game against atalanta which you know it went slightly differently but i'd say that they were the better team in that as well and in that game they were ahead and the fact they weren't able to win any of those games you know beating napoli this weekend does feel quite significant the big plus for inter as well is the fact that I think going into these two matches against Milan and Napoli, um, you know, there was a real chance that they could have found themselves 10 points or even, you know, 13 points behind. And coming out of it only four points behind, probably at this stage being, I'd say, the form team, certainly out of those three, but arguably out of the whole league. Um, you know, it feels like things are going well for Inter. You also mentioned their wing-backs. I think you're right to do that. I think especially Darmian, um, in terms of, of someone who interprets that role, he's got to be one of the best in the league. I think one of the reasons we've not seen much of Denzel Dumfries, who we, we expected quite a lot of when he came in, is not so much what he has or hasn't done, it's how good Darmian's been, because he's been he's so disciplined defensively, but he's also he does provide a real attacking option. You know, he was involved in the in the first goal it was his cross that led to the the Koulibaly penalty so um and and the other thing for Inter is I think Inzaghi's getting a really good response from his squad you know I think a lot of Inter fans um would have been worried about uh Ranocchia playing in a game of this stature kind of considering some of his performances over the last few years but he seems to have completely settled down and and those guys are coming in and and they're really doing a job. I thought he had a great game. I don't I don't really think he was at, at fault for any of the goals. And and the same with with Correa. You know, I, I'm not sure that Correa is a, is a starter. I think Inzaghi was was possibly even resting Zeko. Um, but the fact that he has these options and that players are coming in and doing jobs, it feels like Inter in in a in a really good place at the moment. I think Darmian's a classic case of a systems player, really, isn't he? He really seems to suit that wing-back role. I remember when he was at Parma, he, he looked pretty dodgy, to be honest. But I, I guess maybe that's because he was again, he was alongside a 46-year-old Bruno Alves and, <laughs> and whatever else. So I guess it was a tough team to play in. But he does, as you say, seems to be in really good form. We're going to touch much more on Napoli and Inter later on uh, when we... Uh, look ahead to the Champions League. But I want to come on to Milan, who we've mentioned a couple of times. They didn't take advantage, even though they played before, actually, but they didn't take advantage of Napoli losing this weekend because they also lost, uh, Joe, 4-3 uh, against Fiorentina. I want to touch on Fiorentina first and Dusan Blahovic. Um, we've we've seen over the la in the summer how many great players from Syria left. I'm thinking Lukaku and Hakimi from Inter um, in, in particular. How important do you think that Vlahovic, it is that Vlahovic stays in Serie A beyond this season, just for sort of the strength of the league, I suppose? Because it, it seems that his time at Fiorentina is coming to an end, but he's such a special talent, isn't he? Yeah, and I think you could also add Donnarumma to that list of uh, sort yeah. of marquee players that left Italy. I think it would be fantastic if he stayed in Sedia, but if you ask me whether I actually think he will, unfortunately, I don't think so, because it seems like with the discussions between his camp and Fiorentina and the comments that Comiso has made so far, it doesn't look very likely that he's going to stay. And when you consider clubs that can afford to pay what, what, he's, what Fiorentina will be asking for, I imagine the Premier League is probably the only place that can afford a player of that that quality. So I'd love for him to stay in the league because I do think uh, he's a top talent and we want to keep our, our top talents in Serie A. But unfortunately, I don't think he will be. 
Yeah, got, got another couple of goals this weekend, though, and really took them well. Um, Fran, uh, Francesco, from a Milan perspective, a, a little bit worrying. I guess the main concern sort of from this game was how sort of slow the defence looked a bit. And I think it was quite clear that they were missing Tamori, particularly that third goal over the top. Blachowicz goes goes around the keeper and scores. Is, is that a big concern for you? Sort of, we spoke about Ozimen and the drop off when he doesn't play for Napoli. Tamori for Milan is is that another thing where it's a a massive change in terms of pace in that back four? I, I mean, Tomori has arguably been the the best defender in Serie A this this season. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to mention it's not just his pace; he's an excellent defender as well. Yeah, but but yeah. that's an added element. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the pace, and you're right too, because he's also probably the fast, you know, if not the fastest, certainly one of the fastest defenders or, or players in the league. Um, but I don't really think that was the main issue yesterday. I think Gabja, who played instead of him, just had a, a really poor game. I mean, he was at fault for the first goal, not as much as Tafel Osano, but he's trying to hold off Duncan when he should just be clearing the ball. That's got nothing to do with pace and... Um, in, the, in that goal that you mentioned with the ball over the top, he, he gets his positioning all wrong. I think the issue was the fact that Milan were missing not just Tomori, but also Romagnoli. I think if Romagnoli had played, um, you know, there probably would have been a different outcome, you know, related to these specific issues. I think that they are much more solid when they've got two of those three, whether it's Kerr and, and uh, Tomori or, or Romagnoli and one of the other two. And and Gabbia, who's still young, and you know, I'm not saying that he's a bad player. I think he just had a had a poor game this weekend. Yeah, um, there, there were some there were some great defensive errors actually for a neutral. It was a really fun watch. Um, what one player who had a, who had a you know really good in, in definitely second half was Latan Ibrahimovic. Got a couple of goals. Um, in terms of looking from a rival's perspective, I suppose, Joe, how big an impact do you think Zlatan can have this season still? He's now 40, but he has got a few goals recently. Is he the kind of player that Milan should be sort of thinking, OK, well, if we can get 20 to 25 games out of him and he maybe comes up with 12 to 15 goals, we're perfectly happy with that. And, and maybe he can even do that for another season after that as well. Do you think that's realistic? Absolutely. I think that's, in fact, what they're trying to do. I think the, the latest rumors are that Milan are looking to extend Zlatan for another season, and I think he has plenty to offer. The thing that about Zlatan is that he's kind of reinvented himself over the last few years. He's he's recognized that at his age, he's not going to be able to run as much. He's not going to be able to press as much, but he's sort of evolved, and you know he's gotten better at, at winning the ball in the air, which wasn't necessarily his forte in his younger uh, days in his career. And he's showing that he is valuable because he's still scoring goals. I mean, he was, I believe he was one of the players that was sort of gifted one of the goals in that match with some of the, the errors, but it was sort of a pass back straight to him, but you still had to finish there and his finishing has been impeccable so far this season. The other thing about Milan is that now they also have Giroud who can fill that void when Zlatan's not there, because I thought last season there was a bit of a drop off when Zlatan wasn't in the lineup and now they have another player who is equally as prolific and up there in age as well. But together, I think the two of them can essentially play the role of, of a, a number nine that plays a full season. Yeah, certainly. And, and and of course, with Milan, we saw their sort of fighting spirit again this weekend, which has really impressed us over the last 18 months. They refused to roll over despite going 3-0 down. I, I now want to move on to the other sort of mass, massive game from the weekend, which was Lazio-Juve. Um, and Francesco, I'll come to you first on this. Lazio were in really good form before the international break, Juve less so. So I, I don't think many knew how this game was going to go, but Juve ended up getting a 2-0 win a couple of penalties, any complaints with those penalties? And, and also overall, would you say this was a pretty big step in the right direction for Juve or do you ex still expect them to have sort of an up and down season for the rest of the year, really? I think uh, in terms of the penalties, I've got no complaints. Um, I, I, I mean, my biggest complaint would be what is Pepperina doing? But um, other than that, I think they're both penalties. I'm not really sure why Sarri is so upset about the first one. Um, 
And I'm not sure it's a great look for him either, the fact that he complained so much and seemed to think there was a, a great injustice. I, I don't think it does anything for, for Lazio or for him personally, um, because they seem pretty clear. And they were also really well taken by Bonocci. It's a shame he didn't step up in the, in the Italy game. Yeah. Um, in terms of Juve overall, I'm not sure we learned anything new from them in this match because in one-off games, they've shown even this season that especially against teams who will come out and play against you, like Lazio, they're very capable. Um, you know, it was a very typical Juve performance. They basically just waited for Lazio to attack and they picked them off. Um, but I do feel like this could be a really important moment for Juve in terms of their season. You know, they've had a couple of good back-to-back results against Fiorentina and Lazio. They have Atalanta next, which is a, a big test. But if they were to win against Atalanta, and I think, unlike Napoli, their fixtures going into Christmas are really, really good. I think they play four of the bottom six plus Bologna after Atalanta. So, you know, in Italy, they've, they'd say they, they've got an autostrada. After, after, after Atalanta, they've got a motorway that they can get on and just pick up a load of points and close the gaps. And then immediately after Christmas, um, they play Napoli and, and they also play Milan in January. So if they can get to a situation where they're closer to Napoli and Milan in, in a way that they can you kind of exert some, some scoreboard pressure, if you like, then, then it could make those matches interesting. And, you know, we've seen with Juve in the past that they can get back into title races. I mean, uh, there's a lot of ifs in there. I still think they're, you know, like I said, it's not necessarily based on what I saw from them this weekend. They still feel like a, an iffy team. I'm not sure if, if Allegri even knows what his best team is still at this stage of the season. But the fact that the fixtures have kind of fallen this way makes me think that if they were to pick up a result next weekend and then go into that, that easy run of games with, with some confidence, we could see them climb the league. You say easy run of games, Francesco, though, but th- those are the games that they struggled in sometimes. They they can't yeah, sit yeah. on the edge of their yeah. own box in those games, can they? Uh, so I'm only I'm only teasing you, both fans. But um, from from a Lazio perspective, Joe, I guess sort of the opposite to Napoli in that their squad depth is a real issue, isn't it? And of course, they've got Immobile out at the moment, so. Are you maybe a little bit concerned for them? They, they seem to be a side that you think if they have everyone fit, they've got a decent push for the top four. But if they have a couple of players out, all of a sudden they're moving more towards mid-table than top four. Is, is that how you see it? It is, especially when you're competing in multiple competitions like they are with the Europa League. Obviously, it's hard to replace a player like Tiro Immobile, but I think Sadi really sent the message in terms of how Lazio feel about Vidal Murici when they're they have him, they paid 20 million euros or whatever for him, which is a big price tag for Lazio. And yet they'd still rather go with Pedro in the number nine instead of Murici. They brought him off the bench. I mean, personally, I'm probably in the vast minority here, but I don't think Murici has been given much of an opportunity to to do anything. His playing time has been so inconsistent, but most Lazio have given up on him. I think with, you know, this was a typical Juventus performance right they you can argue on the first penalty I think the second penalty was pretty obvious no complaints there the first one I understand it given how said he has officiated these days I don't like that that's how the calls are made but that's probably been consistent with other penalties and then after that Juve just dropped into that four five one and without Immobile there they just Lazio just couldn't break through uh they they created very little and you know, maybe if they had some some other options other than Basic that they could bring off the bench to to inject some creativity to help break down that low block, then they might have fared better. But I do think uh, depth continues to be an issue for them, um, including at the back, because Echadabia has have, had a, a pretty strong uh, drop off from previous years. I'm, I'm, I'm still a little bit shocked that they let Caicedo go in the summer. I'm not a huge fan of Caicedo, but I still think he's a very useful player. So uh, to let him go, I, I personally think was a mistake. Um, Francesco, I'm going to come to you now on, on Atalanta, who you mentioned then. They've got Juve coming up, but they're really starting to hit their stride now, it seems. Put five past Spezia, and this is more like the Atalanta we know. And having not been at their best this season, all of a sudden they're only seven points adrift. So is it maybe time to start saying, oh, they, they could actually get back into this title race? You, you say they've not been at their best. And 
I feel like I agree with you, but um, looking at the numbers, they're actually they've actually got three more points than they had at this time last season, which seems crazy because it does feel like they've been not as good as they were. Um, but you're also right that this tends to be the time of the year when they really take off. They they can put runs of games together, and I, I'd also kind of forgotten that Hatterbor played for Atalanta, so they've been doing all this stuff without. Hatterbor and Gozens, who are two of their best players, especially Gozens, but but even Hatterbor, really players who can make a big difference. I feel like players who've come in in the summer, like Coop Miners, especially, has really started to settle, really started to settle in, and and you know the, the squad is it, it looks almost at full strength again. Both of those players who I mentioned, Hatterbor and Gozens, are, are coming back to training. It's been reported this week, so it's looking good for them. In the next week, so they, they play Juve next, and then the week after that, at the weekend, they play Napoli, which are two big, big games. And I, I guess we'll have to see how those matches go. But if they, you know, if they come out of those two games relatively unscathed, at the moment, they're only seven points off the lead. They, they could be potentially in a better position after those two matches. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I definitely think... They are, yeah, I'd say they are still in the title race. They're, they're still, you know, I'd say that they're the, the fourth favourites right now, but um, I wouldn't count them out. And, and normally around sort of December, January, they start going on one of these crazy runs. So, yeah, if, if they are still in the mix then, they, they could well have a chance, as you say. Um, One player I want to touch on with you, Joe, is, is Duvan Zapata, who just seems to be going from strength to strength these last couple of seasons in particular. Of course, he was on Napoli's books a few years ago. Is he a player that maybe you see as the one that got away? Or is it simply, you know, it's not that Napoli have had bad strikers over the years either. So do you think it's just a move that su- suited all parties? Or do you sort of wish he still was at Napoli? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to to not uh, regret him leaving with the way he's played for Atalanta over the last couple of seasons, but you're right. I mean, when we had him, we had prolific strikers. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head if that was when we saw it Cavani or Iguain, but either way, both of those guys were always going to be the starting number nine at Napoli. So there, there really wasn't that much room for Zapata, but, you know, to his credit, he's, he's really stepped up. And I think we have to give um, Gasparini a lot of credit for, for how well he's doing. He's, he's got him in that system. And I think this match was probably the closest to the Atalanta that we've gotten used to in, in the last couple of years, in terms of how they played, you know, racking up the goals not being scared to leave themselves open and, and concede a few goals because they're going to score so many that it doesn't really matter. You had the Muriel goal off the bench, which is sort of his trademark. So I would certainly say that Atalanta are still in contention. I think um, depending on how this run of games goes before the winter break, yet, we'll have a much better idea in, in terms of a lot of these clubs. Um, but, you know, good for, I'm glad to see Zapata's doing well. I, I, don't hold any hard feelings towards him or anything like that as an Napoli fan. Yeah, he's really, really, um, as I said, got better and better. I, I must admit, when he was at Sampdoria after Napoli, he wasn't really pulling up any trees there. So it sort of made sense that he then did move on. But but now, as I said, one of the best strikers in Syria. Um, Francesco, I'll, I'll ask you a question here. We're going to move on to Roma. Uh, before Sunday night, how much did you know about Felix Afenergian? Um I'd I'd never heard of him. <laughs> never heard of him. You've heard of him now, though, haven't you? I have, yes. Um, two goals in the final ten minutes to pull out a massive result for Roma, actually, because they've they've been pretty dire the last sort of six weeks or so. Um, I mean, what did you make of it? Just an incredible introduction to Serie A, really, hey? Yeah, I mean. It, it does happen every so often. It, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Pellegrini, um, and I guess I'd because you know he he had a, he was at a similar probably even younger I think when he he got a brace I think that was for Genoa, and he hasn't really you know his career hasn't really taken on since then. I mean he's still very young. He's at Milan now. Uh, he, I don't know if he's even played yet this season, but or, or he played very little, and hopefully um, you know Jean will get more chances than than Pellegrini's getting at the moment. Um, Overall, I think this was actually a really positive performance from Roma. It's the Mourinho changed the formation slightly, so he played with three centre backs. And I think I criticised 
um, almost defence last time I was on the podcast. And I think Kumbulla coming in really helps Mancini. Um, and 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 the, having that three as a basis makes Roma look a lot more solid, or, the, or they were yesterday. I was also impressed with El Sharawi, who seemed to, you know, buy into being a wing-back. Um, you know, he was really good, created a lot of chances. And probably most importantly um, for Roma is that Mkhitaryan looked kind of close to his old self. I think he had a really good game. The assist for the first goal was, was excellent. And he's kind of disappeared this season. And I do think that was to do with the way that Mourinho was using him. I think he'd given him a lot more defensive responsibility. And in this formation where he's playing kind of behind two strikers, um, he has the freedom to, to play the way he wants. And, and you really saw that yesterday. Um, it, uh, and, and obviously, there's two strikers as well. I thought Shamaradov and um, Abraham didn't have the best games. Shamaradov had, had a, some big chances that he missed. But but having those two seemed to make a difference at Roma. It seemed like a completely different team. And it's probably that after that game, it's the most positive I felt about Roma for, for a while. Um, so I do I think it was... You know they deserve to win, and it's it's good that they they did pull pull the result out because it looked like they might not in the end. But um, yeah, they definitely deserved it. And overall, very good. And yeah, it's interesting that that this new guy's come along and scored a couple of goals like that. I guess one of the sort of criticisms, Joe, of of Mourinho over the years has been that he hasn't been. He's, he's been a bit reluctant to use youth sometimes. I, I think that that's something that's been been held against him. So do you think that Efenajan will now get more opportunities, um, you know, maybe start some games or or will Mourinho sort of hold him back as, as he has tended to do in the past and rely on experience more? Well, I think Mourinho's almost forced himself to use his Primavera players because he essentially scrapped his his backup players with with how he's talked about them in his press conferences he's really put them down um i don't think we'll see fnagn start too many matches i think he may be that that impact player that you bring off the bench i thought it was also very interesting that he Mourinho went with him over Zaniolo, who was warming up on the sidelines as well. I, I follow Napoli's Primavera team, so I haven't seen Roma's Primavera yet because we haven't played them yet. But what I do know from following the Primavera is that Roma are top of the table in Primavera Uno. And so today I quickly looked up his stats there, and he actually has six goals and five appearances with the Primavera. So you can see why Mourinho called him up, and and he, he rolled the dice a little bit. I do think that Roma deserved the victory. They were... They had the lion's share of the, the good chances. They just, it was pouring rain and they, they were just coming up short. They had a, a goal disallowed for a, a bit of a questionable handball decision, I believe, on uh, Tammy Abraham in, in the area. So I think Genoa might have had one chance. And I think there was a foul called on that play anyway. So Roma deserved the three points, but FNGN rightfully stole the headlines away from uh, Shevchenko and even Shomordov playing through his first time against his former club. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you, Francesca, actually about Zaniolo because I know um, you're. I think you've called him in the past, perhaps the most talented young player in Syria in terms of ability. He's had a couple of horrible injuries. Mourinho also has a tendency to sort of, you know, get into these rifts with one or two of his big players. Are you a bit concerned that Zaniolo could be going down that path because there were rumours last week that he's not been happy with his role at Roma, then he was left out and didn't even come on this weekend? Yeah, it is concerning um, because I I don't know if any of these rumours are true, but because of the kind of person that Zaniolo is and because of the way Mourinho is, you know, you think there's definitely a chance that that they might have had an argument. Um, I think Zaniolo, there are question marks about the way he, you know, he carries himself almost. I think he has a knack of rubbing people up the wrong way. Um, you know, he's he's had issues in his his private life as well as in football. But I do stand by what what I said. I think he is an incredibly talented player and. Um, I, I I think we don't know yet how much those injuries have affected him. We don't know if he's if he's back to the way he was. But if he is able, you know, to to carry on with with and have physical integrity, then I don't see why he can't become a brilliant, brilliant player. Right now, the concern is more about his, you know, the way he behaves, and not so much about his his physique. Um, but yeah, it is concerning. Okay, moving on to a game. 
further down the table this weekend, which was Sassuolo Cagliari, ended 2-2. And, and I'll, I'll come to you first on this one, Francesco, because I know that um, you're not particularly a fan of volleys, but Kate Baldi's overhead kick this weekend, um, do you think a bit lucky or do you think unbelievable technique and deserves full credit? I mean, it looked good, Sam, but... <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's lucky, isn't it? It's, there's, there's definitely a bit lucky because it comes off the crossbar. Also, there's no scissor, so you've got to take points away for that. You know, it's no Yuri Jorkov. He's no Yuri Jorkov. And what do you think, Joe? Where do you stand on sort of overhead slash sideways kick goals? <laughs> well, I think Francesco's a little bit harsh there. I mean, they're, they're very low, uh, low probability efforts, right? So they're not going to come off. Uh, often uh, but when they do I think yeah maybe a little lucky came off the bar but he definitely intended to to make a play like that it reminded me I mean you could probably can't chalk that one up as the goal of the season already it reminded me of the goal that uh, Daniela Verde scored for Spezia I can't remember if it was last season or the one before with the another sort of scissor kick uh, volley I think that one might have been a bit bit better than than this one by Keita but quality finish and very entertaining match Joe, I think, it, I think that, that was against Lazio, wasn't it? The Verdi one, I think. I think if, if that is goal of the season, Joe, I'm going to be really disappointed. <laughs> I'm sure that there's already been a better goal than that this season, and there definitely will be more. Come on, it wasn't even that good. It was a miss hit. <laughs> yeah, no, you're 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 very harsh on these ones. I don't know what goal impresses you, Francesco. You don't like volleys and. Well, you didn't like the flick from Pellegrini against Verona a few weeks back. I thought that was pretty special. I'd say that Mertens' goal this weekend was better than than uh, Baldi's. But that didn't go right in the corner. I don't know. It, it was it was a, it was a good strike, but you see those ones far more regularly. I'd say. And what I would say too is that they'd. I admit, I'd rather see, even though it's less flashy, I'd much rather see sort of a nice team goal with lots of quick one-touch passes yeah. over sort of a, a moment of brilliance that, that, to Francesco's point, it may have been a little bit lucky. And most of the time, that's not going to happen. Yeah, well, let's see if we do get some better goals. There were some really good goals this weekend, actually. Um Another game I want to touch on is Sampdoria Salernitana. Um, Francesco, I know we've said, for a couple of weeks, this is a really important period for Sampdoria, isn't it? Because it seems that Davers is on the brink. Do you think this result gives him breathing space, or do you think he's still probably just one defeat away from from the sack? Because like, looking at their next sort of three or four games, it's mostly against sort of mid-table clubs. So, do you think if he loses one of them, he he could he could go? I I don't know. I don't know what Samp are hoping for. Uh, you know, this season, really. Um, realistically, for them to finish it, anything kind of above mid-table is very unlikely, I'd say. I think yeah. they're kind of a mid-table team. I'm still of the idea that they've collected fewer points they deserve. I th I've been pretty impressed with Sam this season, and especially against some of the bigger teams, they had some good performances and just weren't, you know, ended up losing. Um, it's good that, that they won. I think Davesa, you know, if they stick with him, that they, they'll... I'm confident they'll be fine this season. Um, and, I, you know, I don't see what the point would be in getting rid of him, really. Um, what, what are you hoping a new manager will do differently? Because I, I can't see Sampdoria going down. I think with Davesa, there's a chance they'll probably climb up the league a little bit. I don't think they're going to get into Europe, but they'll probably finish mid-table. So, I, you know, it would be, to me, it wouldn't achieve anything, even if they lose, you know, a couple of matches in the next two or three. It's, you know, it's not going to make a a positive difference bring someone else in yeah well a huge, a huge result for them which which maybe gives them a bit of breathing space we'll, we'll have to see of course Ferrero uh, their, their owner is can be a bit eccentric so <laughs> who knows what he's going to come up with um, and then the last game that we're going to touch on because we're recording this Monday night um, for everyone listening so there are a couple of Serie A games on Monday night but we won't be covering them unfortunately uh, but next year getting a 1-0 win against Bologna um, Joe, normally when sides come up from Serie B, we've seen in the past few seasons there can be a bit of a gap and so they come up and they go straight back down. But with Venezia and Empoli, they're looking pretty good so far. Would you say Would you say maybe Venezia are sort of the surprise package of the season for you? 
I would only because I wouldn't consider Empoli as surprising considering the margin that they, they won Serie B by. So I think, you know, looking at Empoli, you, you think, okay, that's not a huge shock that they're probably going to stay up. But Venezia was definitely one of the teams along with Salernitana that I thought would be heading straight back down. And they've managed to to pull out some impressive results. Okereke looks really, really good. They've got a couple of uh, young players, uh, Buzio, I believe, and, and um, uh, that have that have impressed uh, i don't know if it's the american ownership that's uh why they're bringing in uh more american players or if that's just a, a coincidence but it's working well and and um uh, i want to say romero the goalkeeper uh is uh playing well as well so yeah i would say venezia is the biggest surprise for me in terms of uh newly promoted clubs yeah and of course bologna losing that game i've had some positive results recently it's flip of a coin with that team isn't it um you never know what what you're going to get, I suppose, without wanting to sound too much like Forrest Gump there. Um, but, and so we, we've covered all of the Italian uh, Serie A games from the weekend. And so now, uh, Joe, I'll, I'll come to you first. We're going to just have a quick look ahead to the Champions League games coming up this week, uh, getting sort of towards the end of the group stages. So uh, first off on Tuesday, we have uh, Juventus against Chelsea as they're trying to uh, top that group, Juve, already qualified, of course. And then we have Atalanta playing away at Young Boys in, in a pretty crucial game for them. Um, how do you see sort of those games panning out? Obviously, Atalanta sort of been a three-way scrap, it seems, for those two, th- those top two spots. Do you, do you see them maybe getting out that group? I do. I think they're they're playing in fine form. I think despite probably feeling like they should have walked away with more points from the two matches against United, um, I think they'll still take the three points in this one and, and at least put themselves in a position to uh, to get out of the group stage. Yeah, they they look in they look in good uh, fettle, as you say, and um, yeah, how they only got one point from those two United games is a travesty, to be honest. Um, and on to Wednesday, Francesco, we've got Milan playing, um, of course, against that. Are they against Atletico? Yes, they're against Atletico, and we have um, we have. My mind's gone blank briefly. Inter and Shakhtar. Inter and Shakhtar. Of course, that's the bigger game, actually, probably. Inter, this is their big chance to finally get into the last 16. And so how do you see that one going? And with Milan, do they want to get into the Europa League or not? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Milan actually have a chance of qualifying still. But it's extremely unlikely. and because of what's happening in the league, uh, you know, I, I don't think they, they want to enter the Europa League at this stage. I mean, I'd like them to, really. I'd like them to go for it, but I can't see that happening. And so, I, you know, I'm not really... Atletico are absolutely in the, in the hunt, you know, still in the race to qualify. So I expect them to put a strong team out, and I'm not sure that Milan will. So I think, yeah, I, I expect Atletico to win that match, really. Um, with Inter, it's different. Um, I think they're probably the favourites to beat Shakhtar. And, um, you know, qualification is very much in, in their hands. Uh, the, you know, this will be the, the fifth time they played Shakhtar in three seasons. Um, the first time they played them, they scored five goals. And since then, they haven't scored any. Uh, it's been three nil-nil draws. I've, I've got a feeling that they're going to be tense um, tomorrow, especially on Wednesday, sorry, especially if they don't break the deadlock early. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I, I feel like Inter are playing well at the moment. They, they seem confident. And one thing that maybe they, they have that they haven't had in, in previous seasons, or certainly not to the same extent, is the way they're able to score goals uh, so frequently from set plays. You know, I think in Di Marco and Chanoglu, they have two of the best deliveries you know, in, in the league. And they've got so many players who, who who are good in the air now. So it does give them another option to score, even if they're not playing that well. They they have, you know, I, I imagine that, the, you know, I'd be ex- very surprised if, if they go four games without scoring Shakhtar. But uh, you never know. It's a, it's a big, big game for them. But I suppose what's good about the, the situation for the Italian teams is that three of these sides have their fate in their own hands. And I think if... You know, you've already qualified, but I think if Atalanta and Inter play as well as they can, they, they should be okay. 
yeah, let's let's see if Inter can finally get past the finish line this time. And then on to Thursday, of course, Europa League, Joe. Uh, Napoli, their chance for revenge against Spartak Moscow. Um, that group's really tight, actually. Napoli just at the top on seven. We then have Legion Warsaw six, Leicester five, Spartak Moscow four. So from a, from from your perspective, do, do you want Napoli to really make an effort and go on to win this whole thing? Or, or how, how do you see... Uh, the Europa League. Do you think it's important for them this season? It's an interesting one. I think, you know, a lot of people are suggesting that Napoli should not, you know, should bow out gracefully, I suppose, and, and focus on Serie A because of where they are in the table. I think Spalletti has made it clear that he wants to compete on all fronts and he believes he has the depth in, in this squad to do that. Unfortunately, at the moment, Napoli don't have a whole lot of depth because there are three players that have COVID, Politano, Demme, and Zanoli, who's a young player that doesn't play a whole lot. Unas injured, Anguisa injured, Osiman injured. So I think we're going to have to, Napoli is going to have to play probably close to the best available 11 that they have. And there's a possibility that they could actually win the group in this round if Leicester drop points against Legia. So if, uh, or I, I believe if they draw, if Legia win, then they could still potentially uh, win the group. So I personally, what I would like from Napoli is to try to win the competition, but not at the risk of dropping points in Serie yeah. And what I mean by that is rotate and play your best with your, your backup players. Yeah, this, we might get to see about the squad depth this week. That's that's for sure. Uh, that leads you also the a Leicester game, actually, two sides in dreadful form. I think Legia also lost like eight on the trot, maybe I saw earlier. And then you have Leicester getting smashed uh, by Chelsea. Of course, Chelsea are decent, but Leicester just not playing that well at the moment. Um, on to Lazio. And Francesco, you sort of said that you feel that Sari quite wants to go out of this competition. But at the moment, they look like they might actually make the last, uh, last 32. Uh, they play Locomotive Moscow, who are bottom of the group. And with a win, they're, they're almost there, aren't they? Yeah, I think Lazio have been pretty boring in Europe. You know, they've not been terrible, but I wouldn't say they've been good at all. But they do find themselves in a situation where a win is going to get them very close to qualifying, uh, possibly qualified with a game spare. And, you know, the point Joe's just made about maybe some bigger teams, you know, having other things to focus on means that I, I think this is an opportunity for Lazio. I, I'd, I'd be surprised, based on what we've seen this season, if they make the Champions League from Serie A. I think there are probably at least five, maybe even six teams that are better than Lazio this season. And so the Europa League might be their best you know, way of getting into the Champions League. And that is the kind of thing that's going to change the, you know, the status of your team going forward. So... If I was Sarri, I'd be I'd be doing my best in this competition. I think that that where they are compared to where Napoli are right now is completely different, and they have an opportunity. This when when the draws w was made, this was one of the toughest groups, but because of how things have played out, they have a real chance of getting out and then being one of the biggest teams, you know, kind of in the last thirty-two. And, and of course, Roma play in the Europa Conference League as well, uh, looking to secure their place in the next round of that. But I, I want to move on now, actually, and finish off the episode by talking about the Italian national team. And uh, we, had, we had a tough week for Italy, didn't we? Where going into the international break, it looked like they were well positioned uh, to, to make it through automatically to the World Cup. But it didn't pan out. Back-to-back -back draws against Switzerland and Northern Ireland mean that they now go into the playoff. So, Joe, I just want to get your perspective on how have things gone so wrong for Italy in the last sort of four months since they won the Euros? Is it more of a physical issue for you where the players have been running to the ground sort of? We're not having much of a summer break. Or is it more of a mental issue where perhaps for some of that squad, it was a sort of last hurrah in the summer with... Bonucci and Chiellini in particular, I'm thinking, and and now it's it's quite hard to pick themselves back up again. I think it's a combination of things. I think there's definitely a physical component. I mean, you look at how many players were missing due to injury. You know, we talked about Achebe, uh having a drop off. He still started because Chiellini was hurt. So there's that component. And then even the players that did make it into the squad, Barella, Insignia, these are guys that just look physically exhausted and there's only so much the even at that level there's only so much a, a body can handle 
And then there's the the point that everyone's been making for a very long time about this Italian squad is that there's no true number nine. Um, and when you play in this 4-3-3, that's, that's really important. I mean, if anything, what this last international break proved was that while we may not think Immobile is great in a 4-3-3, he's probably still the best option we have because we tried playing Insignia there with Barella in a 10 so they can kind of swap positions and it didn't really work. And yeah, I, I guess one of the things after winning a major tournament is that Mancini's going to have a lot of, I, I guess the players that won him that tournament have a lot of the, in the bank, don't they, Francesco? But do you feel that maybe he needs to freshen up that squad a little bit from the summer in terms of, I guess he started it slightly, bringing the likes of Tonali in, but does he need to do that a bit more and be a bit more ruthless on those players who've dropped off the past few months? Um, I don't really think he does need to do that. I think the reason that, that they haven't managed to qualify is that a, they, <clears throat> excuse me, they lost concentration. You know, they had ample opportunity to, to close this group out. Um, and that, the, you know, they didn't beat Bulgaria, even though they absolutely dominated them and should have beaten them. And for a lack of concentration, they conceded a stupid goal. Uh, the games against Switzerland, you know, Switzerland are a, are a solid team, but Italy should have won both of those games, even not playing at their best. They missed a penalty in each of those matches. And um, it was only really the, the game against Northern Ireland where they were disappointing. It felt eerily like the Sweden match, um, you know, when Italy didn't qualify, when it was four years ago, five years ago. Um, you know, they, it felt like they could have played for days and never scored. And that's that also... I feel like Mancini himself, in his mind, he got a bit tight, he got a bit worried, and he started changing things around too much. You know, when you're missing Verratti, don't bring Insigne inside. Insigne is a, is a, is a font of play. He really directs things. So, to me, he's the best wide attacker in the world at bringing other players into play. That's his real strength, you know. If you think about, you know, Gulan when he was at Napoli, he was the best attacking left-back in the league mainly because of what Insigne does. And it's the same, you know, if you think about Spinazzola, it's because of what Insigne is doing. And even Emerson, it's because of what Emerson's doing. I think they really miss Verratti and having that axis kind of Jorginho, Verratti, Insigne. Because Mancini then went and put Insigne inside, that completely disappeared and, and Italy really struggled then. I think Mancini just needs to calm down and go back to what he was doing. Italy, you know, played really really good football right up until the final of the Euros. I think it's normal for a, for a team who have won such a big competition to have a moment of, you know, a, a moment when you do lose concentration. It's not unusual. And they were in such a good position in the group that you can understand why it's happened. But um, right now it feels like they're panicking a bit and they just need to go back to, to what they were doing. Uh, having said that, I think there are players who are doing well enough in Serie A to get a chance. You know, you mentioned a couple there. I, I'd include Saponara. I think he's been really good for Fiorentina this season and he does bring something slightly different. And um, I'd also say El Sharawi. I know that he's not played that much, but El Sharawi is that kind of player who does do things out of the blue. You know, when you are struggling for creativity, he is that guy who, who will take someone, who will shoot from distance. So there are, there are players out there who I'd bring into the squad, but I think the core of the squad is fine. They just need to calm down and get it done. Well, that's, that's what I wanted to sort of end on, sort of looking ahead, because as we know, the draw for the playoffs is coming up on Friday and then those games will be played in March. One interesting thing that's come out over the last week or so, Joe, is uh, Joao Pedro, who's getting Italian citizenship, it seems. Um, I'm not sure how far along the process they are with that. Like, is that, I'm not sure if it's definitely going through. Do you think that he would be an option for that number nine position given what he's been doing at Cagliari, albeit quite a weak side, but, you know, been their standout player the last 18 months. Is he someone that can offer them something different and maybe push Immobile and Bellotti and take that number nine position? I think it's an option. I think João Pedro himself came out and said that he'd be lying to you if he said he didn't want to play for Italy. So I think at this point, they're going to look at all their options I personally would still consider Skamaka as an option. I think he's a bit more of a traditional number nine. He gives you that a bit more of a reference point. But, you know, you look at João Pedro's 
the goals he's scored in the last couple of seasons, you have to consider him. I just wonder though, because while he may be more suited to that formation, just because a player scores a lot in Serie A doesn't mean that's going to translate to the national team. I mean, we've seen that with Immobile. So they'll have to look at that closely, but I think they're going to consider all options at this point. Yeah, I, just just for the record, I I don't like this that much at all, really. I think Jao Pedro is a, is a fine player, but, um, you know, I'm not keen on on the naturalization of players generally i think sometimes it's fine and um you know it's nice that joe pedro wants to play for italy but i think if you said to him who would you play for if brazil called you up tomorrow if italy called you up he'd say brazil and i'm not really okay with players being like that i mean i don't know i might be wrong but also immobile scored the best part of what is it 200 goals in Serie A. you can't compare joe pedro to immobile they're in a different league and and, and i feel like this is this it's, it's all part of that panic what are we going to do? Let's call up Joe Pedro. You know, that's not what Italy need to do. They just need to calm down. I think Joe's right. Scamacca, for me, of the players we mentioned, just because he's different kind of from a from a technical point of view, he's he is that big guy. He's also having a good season. You know, he scored a few goals this year. If you're going to try someone else, he'd be the one to bring in, I think. Um, and, and he, you know, they, they can definitely have both of those guys in the squad. But if you're going to leave Immobile out to call up Joe Pedro, then for me, that is, uh, you know, that's, that would be a mistake. Yeah, of course. And, and, and still, the odds are pretty much stacked in Italy's favour in terms of they get a home semi-final and they're better than most of those teams. So maybe it'll be sort of sick time lucky in terms of qualifying. It, se- it seems like we were like, oh, no, they'll do it this time in September. Oh, no, October. But maybe they'll get across the line eventually. But I, I don't know. I have a feeling that one of Italy or Portugal is going to miss out. And I really hope it's not Italy. So... It's, I don't know if he, I don't know if you guys have that feeling that one of those two is going to miss out. It's just so, I mean, the the, the, they've made it. They've made it much. It feels much harder than it's been in previous years. Normally, it was just a, a playoff, and, and often you would get a team which you know on paper was significantly weaker. If you look at the way the seedings have worked out, Italy could end up playing Poland and have to beat Poland to play Portugal. You know, that's not out of the question. Or they'd have to play the Czech Republic just to play Russia in, in the kind of mini final. There's some really tough combinations out there. And um, yeah, it's not going to be easy. Well, if, if, if Italy get Ukraine, they just need to ask England for some tips, don't they? When they are 4-0 in, in the summer, that's the way to do it. But um, no, we, we will have to see. We've got a few months to wait, but at least we'll find out the draw this week. So going to be really interesting. So Francesco and Joe, thanks a lot for joining me today. And thanks everyone for listening. And we'll catch you again soon. Ciao.